0: best adventure you're going to do in your entire life like it'll change everybody's life it'll change your life and your perspective but take advantage of the adventure things that happen like don't say no because you're too competitive or you're too safe like if you see a village and you want to freaking stop and grab a beer and a snickers when are you ever going to be a Mongoloid riding your horse through a village getting a beer and a snickers Hi, I'm Eric Cooper, and I do adventure for a living, as weird as it sounds. (laughs) Horseback adventure travel.
1: Horseback adventure travel.
0: What does that mean? I organize um, horseback adventures in Mongolia and Argentina that people, horse enthusiasts, can come do. And then I work for the Equestrianist, which is um, uh, basically home of the toughest horse races on the planet. And I lead a lot of um, business development stuff, sales, marketing, operations. You name you it. To sign it. Up. <laughs> you name it. We do it. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. So
1: how did you, I, from, okay. So from what I understand you, you did the Mongol Derby and then you started running these adventures because uh, you fell in love with Mongolia and the people there, but maybe like if you can tell the story from your perspective, that'd be great
0: yeah so um i did the Mongol derby in like 2012 and then basically fell in love with you know sorry for the birds in the background we're real people over here but um i did (laughs) the Mongol derby in 2012 and then fell in love with the country but more importantly i fell in love with that style of travel and like just the extreme side of things being a horse person and you know wanting to see the real shit out there. So I started going back to Mongolia and just hiring my own teams and leading my own adventures like personally. And then through the magic of social media and some PR, like people started wanting to come with me. So then I decided to start my own travel company and bring people on board that were fellow horse people. But basically I did the Mongol Derby in 2012 and then kind of fell in love with that style of travel, maybe not to the, to keep doing it to that extreme, but the authentic side of travel where you aren't just being held by a tour guide and like sitting and drinking tea and like listening in like a school bus setting to like local people tell their story. Like I really wanted to be hands-on and I'm a horse guy. Um, so I wanted to use those skills when I travel and Mongolia is, you know, kingdom of the horse for a reason. So I started going back every year. I was calling new york city home um and i just kept staying longer and longer in mongolia and traveling to a tribe in the north that ride reindeer into the eagle hunters in the west um and the horse herders of the steppe and yeah through the magic of social media instagram facebook people started wanting to come with me and i think you know people create a certain type of person craves this type of adventure travel where it's real where they can use their own skills with animals where they aren't being you know handheld the whole time but we're out doing the real stuff because we've got the skill set to do it and you're really you know learning learning more about the culture because you can be a part of it versus just being like a bystander so yeah
1: yeah totally maybe taking a step back what inspired you to to race in the mongol
0: derby and um a follow-up to that is like what is the mongol derby yeah so what inspired me to race in the mongol derby back in the day um Just felt like I I was good with horses, like I could ride anything and I could handle myself. Um and I don't know, I was just bored. I was living in LA, I was kind of tired of the rat race of things and wanted something that I could focus all my energy on. I always dabbled in like a million different interests of mine and it was cool to like, you know, have one goal in mind where I just had to put all my focus towards that. Like all my energy all my relationships all that because it's really expensive but also it's physically you know just really grueling so um wanted to do it to test myself to push myself and so just kind of i'm a zero to a thousand kind of guy so i'm just like jumping to things and figure it out so that's why <laughs> i did it yeah, yeah. and then yeah and then so the mongol derby is the longest toughest horse in the world, but it's a thousand kilometers for those that do miles it's about 600 miles. Um, you're riding semi-wild horses, changing horses to fresh new horses, probably four times a day, um, and battling the elements and only doing it all with one little tiny saddle bag of survival kit. And you've got your little GPS and you're just trying to get to the next horse station, pony express gone Mongolia style, basically.
1: Yeah. Well, in, in, what was what's the hardest part of the mongol derby in your in your opinion
0: uh for me it was navigation. I don't know where the hell I was going, so definitely you should be working on that <laughs> 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 I by know.
1: the way uh this is th- this is my hard launch. I am racing in the mongol derby in twenty twenty four and I've told a few people, but I haven't like really made it public so uh, this, is, this is officially the the hard launch of of my mongol derby excapade so to speak
0: (laughs) here he goes people he's gonna do well you're gonna do well but yeah no it's worth it be epic so
1: yeah it's funny though because when when you were talking about like why you started why you decided to race I I felt kind of validated I was like oh okay cool so other people are crazy and they just like see the mongol derby as an excuse to get you know to get fit into like ride more horses and and try to leverage the leverage mongol derby as a as a way to get on and and say hey like i'm prepping for this like do you mind if i ride a couple times a week
0: (laughs) Uh yeah you got to get on those and get on all the different crazy horses too but be on the safe ones leading up to the race because you don't want to break yourself before you start so that's true it's a good time yeah I feel lucky because
1: my entire riding experience has always been on the crazy ones because I've always been like the, the guy just outside of the owning horse spectrum where yeah. it's like, Oh, well, we got a couple of crazies. If you want to ride those, you can ride. And I was like, all right, yeah, put me on anything. <laughs> so Give me
0: what you got. That's the best way to do it. Then you learn more. So yeah.
1: Like- so t- tell me about uh, these experiences, these adventures that you run in Mongolia. I'm, I'm really curious about like, all the different kinds of things that you put on and particularly the reindeer riding one. I think that one's like (laughs)
0: the, the,
1: the the most, uh,
0: (laughs) yeah,
1: the, the, the the coolest looking
0: one for sure. Yeah. So I do a few different adventures in Mongolia. Um, The most extreme as far as like horse riding to the wilds and things like that um, is uh, the horseback adventure. I lead to the reindeer people to the Tats and, tribe in Northern Mongolia. So they're reindeer herders. Um, they live in teepees and have wolf dogs and they ride their reindeer. Um, so they're very kind of small group of people. Um, but it's like fairyland where they live. It's probably my favorite place on the planet. It's just so surreal. Like have been going almost a decade now. And every time I go in and see somebody riding reindeer, it's still just insane. So um I lead groups up there in like the the summer and the fall, and we go there. But before we get up to the tribe, we're learning horsemanship, Mongolia style, catching your own horses out of the corral, herding them up, um, very hands on. And it's kind of like a horse packing trip. We bring all the stuff with us on horses. The only way to get to them is on horses, so that's pretty cool. Um, I love that. I love like it's required. It's not like we're just riding a horse because riding a horse, like, okay, the only way to get there is on this horse. And we're going to go through some, you know, boreal forest and crazy, you know, fairy land to get there. So that's what it is. And then we spend time living with the tribe and doing things that they do, you know, whether it's like saddling up reindeer and going out, and like getting, you know, firewood in the forest or fishing or picking berries or pine nuts or things like that, hurting the reindeer, you know, across the tundra kind of thing but it's it's really cool it's really special place it sounds like you're making all of this up
1: (laughs) (laughs) tell me a little bit about the
0: the, you know what i mean yeah yeah. seriously
1: um i'm curious like tell me a little bit more about the tatsan tribe did i say that right yeah tatsan tribe yeah um that one (laughs) yeah like how how did they start riding reindeer and why are they the only ones that do it
0: yeah, so they're they're actually from the, the Tuva Republic, which is on, on the Russian side. So at one point in time, the border was open between like Russia, Mongolia, and they could travel freely. But um, at some point in time, it was closed. And so they kind of got stuck on the Mongolia side. And the Mongolian government gave them kind of annexed in their own territory in northern Mongolia that they could call home. Uh, so that's… Where they stayed, um, but their relatives are in the in the Tua Republic um, on the other side. So the families are small. There's maybe now maybe like 60 families, uh, and, uh, they they're uh, shaman people. So their whole culture is um, derived from shamanism. Uh, so it's like connected to the very much like Native Americans, you know, connection to the environment, the animals that are around them. Um, so that's their lifestyle. They, they live off the land, off the reindeer, um, and foraging for things, you know, that they can eat like the berries and pine nuts, and fish and stuff like that around them. But they move, um, uh, you know, sometimes six times a year, depending on where the best grazing grounds are for the reindeer. So uh-huh. the TPs, the whole nine, everything fits on the reindeer and they go off sometimes 40 kilometers at a time to move to a new camp. So pretty cool
1: they're fully nomadic.
0: They're, they're out there, like
1: really yeah. moving every, every couple seasons, every couple months. They're like, all right, we got to go. We got to go. Crazy.
0: And how yeah, did you like Arctic? So, well, you know, it's up there, you know, Arctic ish. So things grow a lot slower. So they have to manage their resources. They can't just graze everything so freely because summer is like two months and then it's over. So,
1: yeah, that's awesome. That's insane. How did you even like meet, meet them?
0: no, I just hustled. I did my research. I'll leave it at that. Cause I don't want every school bus showing up, but, um, Fair enough. went in, hustled my contacts, figured it out.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. That's so cool. Um, so you ride in the Mongol Derby and, uh, I read somewhere that, you know, you saw someone break their neck. Is that right? Is that like one of the,
0: the- so there's a movie on the Mongol Derby called all the wild horses. Yeah. Um, kind of a montage a few years put together but um yeah a dude that was riding by me got thrown off his horse broke his neck and we sat with him for quite some time while the medics were coming to get him yeah but that's when things get a little bit real when you're like okay you know you go to the zoo as a kid and they're like okay sign this waiver in case that orangutan like grabs you and it has its way with you but you're like riding the beast and any second like something can happen so um and when you're like oh there's no helicopter to get me out well it's serious like you've really got to have your shit together so and you know accidents happen you can be unlucky so that's the risk you're taking aren't you excited (laughs) i am actually i'm pumped um i'm pumped do it it's a thrill it's like you know you don't want to break your neck but was uh, it life-changing for you uh changed my whole life so i never traveled like that before um I probably never thought that was financially possible. Something that's this expensive. I mean, we're talking about this race is probably 20 grand all in, you know, with flights and entry fee and everything else. So, you know, it's like, yeah, it changed everything. Like who I hang out with, what I think is important, what I think is bullshit. So it's not just a horse race, but it's, it's a lot more once you dig deep and start, you know, challenge yourself, get ready for it. Just the people that you meet are incredible. You know, everybody kind of figures out, wow, there's other people that are like me that are this extreme and not just extreme and I want to go do the crazy shit in the planet, but just like what they value as important, what they value as exciting, um, and just their skill set. So it's it's such a life changing thing because you find out you're made of a lot more than what you thought you were, or maybe, you know, you rise to the challenge, whatever you thought you were that that good to begin with. But who knows, <laughs> it humbles you at the same time. So um, but yeah, change my life like I started, you know, my own adventure travel company. Would have never thought I could do that, especially this type of travel that I lead, um, where it's extreme, where I'm responsible for people's lives, you know, and animals' lives. So, you know, yeah, changed everything. And now I do it for work, and I can be in a barn on a Zoom call whenever I want. And,
1: <laughs> and now whenever, now whenever, because half the year you're out in no Wi-Fi land.
0: time, <laughs> yeah, I'm on the horse. Yeah, you're right
1: um what were you doing before i i like you and i have talked but for for the audience for the people that don't know
0: i did a lot of things in new york so uh i was the office for gear junkie which is like an outdoor um like backpacker magazine type of thing so i was like their, their new york office going to press meetings putting together brand collaborations um events things like that i ran restaurants um so hiring chefs designing cocktail menus like overseeing, you know, the crew that worked there, that kind of thing, the vibe, um uh, What else did I do? I worked in like celebrity corporate PR for a second, uh, like Amex, uh, you know, other celebrity people's things, uh, which was cool. And then, I don't know, I did a lot of stuff. I did sales and marketing for Adidas. I traveled over the States, like doing product launches and sales analysis and things like that. You've
1: always, you've always been, uh, hustling.
0: Yeah. I like change. I like things that challenge and are different. Um, I like, yeah, basically worked in marketing, sales, restaurants, hospitality, talent, kind of stuff. And then, yeah, but I'm from a horse farm. Like that's where I'm at right now. So I think the biggest takeaway is I moved out of the farm when I was 18, moved straight to New York and you know kind of fish out of water and like i love the city i lived there for 16 years and wouldn't really think that i would be working with horses i didn't think that was possible to make a job you know doing what i do so it's pretty incredible it still feels fake like i'm like is someone gonna ask for their money back is this real (laughs) uh (laughs) but worked out so far so
1: yeah i'm actually that's actually a perfect segue so you you recently posted an instagram about um and I know this is kind of it might be cringy bringing it up, but I'm curious like where <laughs> <Way> already <laughs> yeah where, where this uh, where this came from. The quote is: "If ever there is a slight chance at getting something that will make you happy, risk it. Life is too short and happiness too rare." Like I, I think that's a pretty powerful message and one that resonated because uh, right now it's like I'm kind of in that limbo point in my life, and so I'm like, oh, what can I do that? you know pushes that limit and i am curious from your perspective like what what was that plunge for you like
0: what how how did how did that come about yeah yeah so i think my biggest moment with that kind of like quotes that i posted and like a p- picture with it um you know i was living in new york for 16 years i was very comfortable there i had a great job i was making money i had coolest friends hanging out but I just wasn't happy with the lifestyle, like what I was doing. and I just kept doing it anyway. And then one point in time, I was kind of just not feeling good. I don't know, depressed, whatever you want to call it. but I just wasn't feeling excited about like my days anymore and like what what I was doing. And so I just made you know the decision I you know, had a nice stash of cash, so I didn't really need to work if I didn't have to. And I could spend some time like just exploring what made me tick, what I enjoyed and trying out different environments based on how they made me feel. So 2018, I quit my jobs in New York, got rid of my apartment and, yeah, became this this nomadic dude. Um, (laughs) And just I didn't really do I, I wasn't sure that my adventure travel company could support me financially that, you know, at the time I wasn't working. That much with the equestrianists. Um, They just had the Mongol Derby. They didn't have the Goucher Derby yet. So financially I was wondering like, what could I do that made me excited? That made me happy and tried out different things. Like I went and ran my season of my own trips for my company in Mongolia that summer. And then I came back, I came actually to New York because I was like, did I make the wrong decision leaving New York? Like what the fuck was I thinking? Like a great job and, you know, friends and all that stuff. And then I was like, no, 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 I need to keep, I need to, you know, owe it to myself to try out different places and see what I like and jobs, stuff like that. So I went back to Missouri for a little bit to my, you know, my parents' farm. I was like, do I want to be a farmer? Like, do I like the horses this much? Do I want to stay put? Like, what is it? So came here, then was like, no, nope, that's not it. When I used to live in Los Angeles off and on. So I went out there and, you know, dabbled in some jobs there looked at places to live that kind of stuff I was like this isn't it and so then i just decided let's just see if i can do this adventure travel company lifestyle everything for a living and balls to the walls let's just go for it so um i did and you know it was awesome <laughs> i'm yeah. fortunate that people that people wanted to come with me and that they trusted me you know so that's you know i'm a lucky guy that people trust me and want to come and like hang with me and, and experience these places so yeah so that was it and then i mean COVID happened but we will not get into that mess but yeah you know thinking back we're kicking and we're going and yeah it's awesome i'm happy living the life but i think it was a big risk for me to leave what i had um especially for the comfort side for the professional side of things like it was very very hard to make the choice to be like all right i'm just gonna go try something else and here we go Associated you know, being comfortable in a very competitive city. Um, it was hard to say, let's try something else. So yeah, that's where that came. Yeah. From. That's my, that is, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I think there's there's a lot of value there, obviously. And and a, a lot of it sounds like, you know, taking the leap from, you already doing well in this uh, New York City, which is, you know, if you do well in New York City, you can kind of do well anywhere. At least that's the saying, you know? Allegedly, right? Allegedly. Well, it's true, I think so what what do you think ha- was the hardest part in starting your adventure travel company that like you didn't expect was going to be so difficult
0: uh i mean the hardest part is really the responsibility like you know it's just such a huge thing um as far as like making sure people have a good experience making sure animals are taken care of um you know there's a lot of hard moments where it's like personally me i, I don't want to Just give money to what's easy like Mm -hmm. if there's a way of doing things so for like the horses that i get for my reindeer trip i get them from you know probably seven eight different families whereas i could get them from one family and it would make my life easier but this is a valley full of other families i'm doing this like i i want everybody to benefit if it's possible so sometimes that creates conflict you know where one family's you know, gets greedy and they want all the funds, you know, you get it. You want all the business. So, but um, it's like just being true to my values and what, you know, I want to do as a business and for my own self and just, so that's a big responsibility. That's probably the hardest thing is like looking after people's safety, you know, the animals that are involved, making sure that, you know, that you have the best quality and that people are responsible. So that's probably the hardest thing on the business side of things. Is just always yeah. being Always watching, always looking, you know, seeing, you know, what could go wrong and just be mindful that each person also needs to feel like somebody, you know, is a big thing just for me with both my business, but also I work for the Mongol Derby and the Gaucho Derby and I run all of our social media channels. And it may seem like probably people don't really think about that side of things, but we have, you know, 50 riders in some of the races and I lead our teams that do the social media. I want everybody to feel like, you know, they're a superhero, like they did something epic, like whether they were in the front, back, middle. And it that's a big, big thing for me. That's really hard trying to give everybody airtime and being cognizant of people's feelings a lot. So. Yeah. Wow. That's insane. Actually. I I didn't even think about that, that, uh, that side of it, but everybody wants to be somebody. So, I mean, that's the biggest takeaway. So make everybody feel like they're, you know, I mean, everybody's important. So of story, but when you actually take it into practice, and you've got a lot of people you're balancing, like, it's a challenge. So
1: yeah. And so kind of on the same uh, type of question, what do you feel is something about like Mongolian culture that comes as a culture shock to a lot of the people that you bring into the country? Um, aside from, aside from like
0: uh, ferment fermented mare's milk. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the biggest thing. Um, I think the biggest thing comes as a shock is people think it's, it's such a simple culture and it's really not like there's so many different customs in Mongolia, you know, especially in the countryside that revolve around the first, like things that you, you know, you take, you only accept things with your right hand. You don't show your wrist, you know if there's a lasso pole on the ground, you'd walk around it. You don't step over it. Like there's so many ways you can unfortunately offend people. And if you don't know, like, you just don't know, but it's such an interesting side of the culture that you'll see when you come and race among the Mongol Derby, but it's just such, uh intense, like layered culture. There's so many beliefs there to discover, which I think is such an interesting thing. And I think a lot of people show up thinking it's very simple. Um, And then, and then we start to teach them on, you know, my trips, things like that, because you're living with the families and you're like, wow, there's all this stuff, you know, you didn't realize that's, you know, their culture and it's rooted in shamanism mixed with Buddhism and, you know, just the culture of the steps. I think that's the biggest shock probably to people is like, oh, wow, I didn't know all these things, you know?
1: Yeah. That's interesting.
0: I I was, I was wondering,
1: like mentally preparing myself to, to bring little tiny tequilas in exchange for. for (laughs) For fermented milk, <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Has and has anyone ever like bought a Mongol Derby horse and brought it back home, like to somewhere? No,
0: pressure, So you can't. They can't leave the country. Mongolian oh. horses.
1: Hey, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it to keep the bloodline pure?
0: You I. Know I think it's more because they do mix breeding there now too. But I think it's just more of it's the kingdom of the horse it's something sacred to them and you know it's their national treasures like be like we tried to sell bald eagles you know or something like that <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a great that's a great comparison <laughs> how how do how did the mongol derby get started and now the gaucho derby and i know there's got to be another one being planned so
0: um i got my boss name Tom Morgan, he had the idea for the Mongol Derby based off Genghis Khan's postal system, essentially the original Pony Express. And so he put it together. He's the one who owns you know, the horse racing company um, that I work for. And then he also created the Gaucho Derby down in Patagonia, Argentine Patagonia. So those are the two races we have right now. And then the third race is going to launch in North America at some point in time, but it's still classified. Yeah. Nice.
1: And what's the Gaucho Derby?
0: So the Gaucho Derby is a 500-kilometer multi-horse race across the Andes. So, yeah, and it takes place in February next year. We take about 40 riders, and you change horses around seven times, and you have to go through different vet checks, similar to the Mongol Derby, similar to the Mongol Derby, where you have to clear a vet check before you can get a new horse. Nice. That's awesome. What's the selection
1: process like for, for the Mongol Derby? How do you know, like, how do you interview athletes or or, like, what do you look for in someone?
0: The first you send in your application, which is what you did. And then we pick around 45, 45 to 50 of those get spots on the Mongol Derby. Mm -hmm. And this next year, we already have 200 people applying and we're already halfway full. So it's pretty competitive to get a spot. Um, We're looking for horsemanship. We're looking for people that can ride, you know, green horses that are, you know, confident, but also that can understand horse health, you know, because, want to make sure you're taking care of the horses out there um and also have a great personality we want people that are a good time you know we're casting an adventure if you will so mm-hmm. the people the importance of place and so that's really the majority of our criteria like and if you have wilderness experience where you've been but really you know your horse side and then also who you are as a person
1: yeah i i i imagine like the the mongol derby cohort's kind of trauma bonding <laughs> over the, <laughs> over, over the, the 10 day like experience. And, or it's rather like, it's more like 14 days, right. Cause you're training beforehand too. Yeah. And so, I don't know. I, I, I was like wondering if, if there was anything else that went into it besides like, Oh, you can ride a horse. Cool. <laughs> you're in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, we gauge personality, just other things, diversity. Like you don't want just all like one type of person there, you know? Yeah. So um as many different countries as possible um as well but yeah personality horsemanship can you ride a horse can you ride anything and so we'll have you guys send like videos and photos in and that kind of thing as well yeah let's talk about the eagle hunters how <laughs> did you so that how how did that happen? How did which happen the eagle hunter trip?
1: Yeah the eagle hunter trip when does that happen?
0: So that happens in the fall um when they're when they're starting to hunt with the Eagles and that's in Western Mongolia with the eagle hunters that most people probably know about, they're pretty famous by now. I take horse people, falconers out there with me, about 10 people. And we go, we learn, um, you know, falconry from straight from the eagle hunters. And we split up into groups and go out and hunt with them. Um, and yeah, do with the eagles, pretty hands-on, pretty intense. I mean, the birds are massive. So to have that flying at you from way up on a, you know, a mountain side is pretty insane. Um, And then on that same trip, we compete nomad games. So it's like mounted archery, uh, you know, Buschkazi where we're pulling, you know, wrestling over the goat hide, stuff like that. So Mm. we get, yeah, down and wild on that, on that adventure. But yeah, it's like (laughs) when I run that.
1: Do you have a limit of uh, amount of people you feel like you can manage on one trip?
0: Yeah, usually it's about 10 um just because i don't want it to feel like a school bus either like it's supposed to be you know it's an adventure so i don't want it to feel like we've got the whole school bus there and everybody's not getting the turn, that kind of thing so for like the eagle trip um it, i work with a band of eagle hunter buddies of mine they all hunt together already so it's like five and six of them that go out and they hunt you know together so i put two of my friends with one eagle hunter so you each have your own kind of micro world that you can live in. And then I just come in and out of it, make sure things are good and everybody's got their shits together kind of thing. Um So that way you're not just sitting there. Can I pet the Eagle? Uh, Cause we're going out and hunting with it. So everybody has to have the hands on time to.
1: Yeah. It kind of sounds like it's just the it's, it's like an extreme version of hospitality. Like I feel like the restaurant business prepared you well for this kind of things. Yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> definitely did. <laughs>
1: Um, and then also, you you know, you're out there hunting, what are you hunting? Like wild rabbit, wild game, stuff like this.
0: Yeah. Mostly it's like foxes and hares. So like big bits, but very, we don't, we don't often catch the rabbits. Like they're so quick. They just like jump. We released three eagles to try to catch one and it just like kept jumping higher and through them all, but it's fun. It's fun for the sport of it anyway. But, um, yeah, mainly that. Um, we caught a marmot one time, which I felt bad for because he was this little fat little rat looking thing. And so <laughs> we were able to like free and you know, let him go back into his hole. <laughs> but, Wait, <really>? um, <laughs> yeah. But um I was like, oh, no, take it off. I feel bad for him because he caught him by the hand and his little hand. Anyway, I won't go into it, but um <laughs> mainly foxes and hares and stuff. And then the then the eagle eats it and the hunters will take the furs and you know, they make their big fur coats and mm-hmm. you know hats and all that kind of stuff. So
1: I read somewhere that the like the process of earning to own an eagle is really there's like a there's like a whole um tradition to it, right? And then like there's you, do you, do they release them after too into the back into the wild?
0: Yeah, so there's a mix. Sometimes they they get them as babies as like hatchlings, and so the female hatchling is going to be bigger than the male, so that's why they hunt with the female golden eagles because they're bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll either send a kid down or somebody small down the cliff on a rope and essentially grab the the female eagle e- eagle chick and then they'll raise it like that or they'll catch it they'll trap it wild and then that one person just works with it um and they keep them for about like six to nine years it's probably the most that um my hunters have kept theirs and they release them back into the wild after that so they can mate and do what make more eagles and all that kind of stuff but yeah, yeah it's a for the family, though, like my one eagle hunters have a bedroom for it in the house in the time And, you know, they're like a member of the family. So, yeah. Would, a family. You like you would think they're, you know, it's kind of scary birds but a lot of them like they'll cuddle with the, you know, the eagle hunter. And, and really? If you got the bond, <laughs> you yeah, know? So, um yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. Never,
1: never took an eagle as a cuddler. I'll say that. <laughs>
0: careful though you know <laughs> they do have claws yeah
1: how much do they weigh like what 30 like, 40 pounds
0: yeah but like 30 pounds 15 kgs so probably close to 30
1: yeah, yeah that's insane that's awesome
0: yeah i can't i can't imagine Th- these kinds of
1: experiences that you're running are just like bucket list items for a bunch of people i imagine like how, how mm-hmm. do how do people get in touch with you and like how, how much does it cost typically i know we, we chatted about it earlier but for the
0: people yeah so the trips around 10 to 11 days they range between five thousand to six thousand mm-hmm. dollars and everything's once you enter the country in the Mongolia and then uh, and then to get in contact with me it's through Instagram or Facebook Instagram's probably the most popular People message me on there and then we set up a call I talk to you about the trip your skill set see if you're good people and if you are then come over so that's how it works. Yeah, yeah. How many trips do you run a year? The reindeer one I run the most. I do, I do two in the summer and then two in the fall. And the eagle hunter trip, I just do two in the fall, like September October. Okay. Yep. So you're running about six trips a year. I do more trips than that too. I do another trip in like the Mini goby with camels as well, and that one's for people that don't really ride horses and they maybe want to ride a camel and ride like a you know easier easier to manage horses so it's more for the person who doesn't want that much of an extreme um adventure it's a bit bougie you know mm-hmm. we have real beds and that. So well actually the eagle hunter trip is very bougie we're glamping it's in like you know a you area fire did you have a chef like all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um we're out in the middle of nowhere so it's nice we build up a camp but um yeah so i do one of the mini goby throughout the year i guide the one in may and then um also try to run it in june and july but that's more for kind of like the the tourist adventure that doesn't want the can tour but also doesn't want to be really extreme you know um yeah. and then i do custom builds too like if there's something that people come to me all the time are like hey i've got like just me and my friends you want to do a private group these are the things we're interested in can you figure something out for us mm-hmm. and i do that stuff too um As long as it's exciting enough and you know, and the budgets, right? Because you know, we don't like to waste no time. So (laughs) hey, hustlers hustle,
1: right? That's how it goes.
0: Worth it. So gotta be worth the time. But yeah, I do like custom trips for people too.
1: Nice. That's awesome. So how uh how many trips would you say you run a year? It sounds like more like 10 or 12, actually.
0: Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Like about 10 all in. Yeah. Do you
1: have an apartment in Mongolia?
0: I got an apartment there that's where my my yeah I guess you'd say my residence is I have an apartment there year-round
1: like oh, right nice. in the city
0: center yeah when I'm not there I live in Argentina the other half of the year and then I pop in and out of the states between like New York LA and uh, Missouri so yeah that's awesome uh
1: yeah.
0: what else what I else try should I talk about Huh?
1: wait wait. what'd you say
0: I said i try to run from winter I'm not a fan of like Cold all the time, so I feel yeah, that. me let's too. Actually, oh, uh, we do hit some snow on the eagle trip sometimes, so it's not too bad. But I just don't want it like for you know four months straight, so <laughs> gonna, I got out yeah.
1: <laughs> So let's uh, assuming that there's some 2023 riders that'll listen to this. Like, what advice do you have for them?
0: What advice do I have? Eat a lot of fatty meat now before you come. Uh, get your digestive system used unpasteurized dairy. Um. Ride as many different horses as possible. You know, it's personalities that you're going to have to adapt to. Try to learn some Mongolian, however you can. It's a huge, you know, sign of respect and a great gesture. They'll look after you a lot more if you do that. Um, and have a good time. Like you'll see in pre-race training, we're very like, you know, strong talk all the time over, you know, responsibility, responsibility, responsibility. But it's also fun. Like this is the best adventure you're going to do in your entire life. Like it'll change everybody's life. It'll change your life and your perspective, but take advantage of the adventure things that happen. Like don't say no because you're too competitive or you're too safe. Like if you see a village and you want to freaking stop and grab a beer and a Snickers, when are you ever going to be a Mongolia riding your horse through a village getting a beer and a Snickers? Never, unless you're me who happened to now do it for, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I should have kept going that time, but it was worth it. Um but, uh, special event and there's so many cool things that you can only do in mongolia like on that race so it's like take advantage of it you know like if you lose your horse like get on the back of a herder's motorbike and go with them and go find it you know there's so many like options for such a cool story and you know cool experience like just your i think biggest thing is like problem solve. You know, don't be down on your luck. We had so many people last year lost, lost their horses, got thrown off, lost all their kit and they just kept going. We had like three girls that, you know, they lost their horses. We ended up finding them later, but you know, we had spare saddles, but they didn't have any stirrups to ride with. And, you know, we said, well, you can sit on the saddle and you can just keep, try to walk and just keep going. Cause it's a thousand Ks. You have to keep moving, you know? Um, and they did it, and freaking incredible. So those girls are awesome. So it's just things like that where you would think, "Oh, I can't possibly do it," you know. And it's like, no. So, yeah. Problem solve. You can do it. Think outside the box. You're gonna suffer anyway, so might as well have a good story to tell. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. What's
1: on that on that thread? Like, what's the craziest thing that someone's brought with them? In your opinion, like because I, I was uh i was brainstorming with my buddy pablo and he was like dude i want to bring like a mandolin and a harmonica and i was like bro you're crazy that you think <laughs> and then he, he started reading about it and he's like you're right bro a mandolin would never but harmonica maybe only, yeah
0: harmonica maybe uh because you only get 11 pounds i'm trying to think i don't know i don't think there was anything outlandishly really crazy that any that anybody i'm sorry my phone's dying i don't okay. think there. Is it going? I don't think there was anything outlandishly crazy. I'm trying to think of what anybody might've brought. That was weird. No one brought the to Well, yeah, nothing weird. There was just, um, some special things like Bob Long, who's like 70 years old, who won the race in 2019 Mm -hmm. from Wyoming. He is such a special guy. He brought little, um, first place blue ribbons and anytime he was leading the race, he would Give it to the owner and tie it to the mane or the tail of the horse is like a gift. So there's some really like special things that um that you might be able to bring that'll, you know, be impactful for the for the people that'll let you ride their horses. So but that was a really cool thing that that he did. That was a nice gesture. So yeah. it is is uh you don't winning is bragging rights, right? You don't there's no like, yeah. No prize money doing it to yeah. help step and hoof the n g o but yeah, winning is just like, yeah, it's I mean it's great if you can do it, You're pretty lucky if you can't, but yeah. my my opinion is take advantage of the adventure first because you know you do it once, well, some people come back and do it multiple times, but most of the time you do it once, so do it right, like you know, yeah right people,
1: yeah, that's how I'm thinking about it. I don't think yeah. I, mean, I you ha, in order to win, you have to ride in like six days, seven days. And it's like, dude, that's three days you could have spent doing something else, like getting a beer and Snickers or some Mongols. Right? Like, <laughs> I feel like I feel like to me, that experience is worth much more than 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 a dub. Um, anyway, yeah, Eric,
0: get over there. Yeah. What you're you know, what happened. Like I said, it's such a lucky thing. It's, you know, luck is such a huge thing. You get the right horses. You don't fall in a marmot hole. You navigate correctly, like things like that. But um, there's so many cool things that, you know, happen along the way. There's Kathy Gabriel, who I'll have to put you in touch with, but she's a bestie of mine. She's hilarious. She's on the derby twice now, uh, but she has a pretty, uh, pretty funny stories uh, that she'll have to tell about, about oh, her I derby.
1: love that anyway, Eric, thank you so much, man. Uh, really appreciate your stories and, and, uh, your advice and your wisdom. Uh, and I, and I hope to see you, uh, this weekend.
0: Yeah. I'll see you. People don't know we live by each other. So yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. People don't know,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> which was actually super lucky. I, it's random. It's perfect. It's super random. I remember, uh, right. dude, fun, like last story I'll, I'll tell is like, I was, I was in Moscow when i was talking about the mongol derby for the first time this was like end of 2018 with my brothers this was the last trip that we were like my brothers and i did before they got uh babies and so now they're like you know tied down with that stuff they
0: got business to do yeah
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> now they got other things to do and i was in moscow and i was telling them about the mongol derby the reindeer stuff and then i, I like dm'd you and i was like yo uh what's up like this is this real and then <laughs> And then you told me you live near St. Louis. And I was like, I live in St. Louis. And we started hanging out. And so now we're here. It's a
0: small world,
1: the universe. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. (laughs) The magic. magic. All right. Well, thanks again, Eric. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll see you soon. All right, brother. Take care. All right. Peace.